God the glory today. We come to worship our God today because our God is a mighty God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a holy God. Whoa, when my alarm went off today at 4 o'clock, I thought I was awake. When I had that double shot of espresso while driving here today, I thought I was awake. But I did not know I was awake until I got here and was with you and with you in the midst of God's people. Not only did I know I was awake, I knew I was alive. Because when we come together, we find that life. And it's about all of us. Did you see Cassandra do a twirl about halfway through that thing? I think I did. <laughs> but can you curtsy? That's the real question. Because <laughs> so Stephen Ponder can do the curtsy. <laughs> and it's all good. <laughs> all right. 39-year-old Christopher Marr was one of the persons whose situation changed because of the economy. He lost his job. So he immediately went out and started interviewing to get another job. And interview after interview after interview, he was turned down. He finally thought maybe he needed some advice. He looked at his resume. It looked great. So he went to an executive recruiter, and the recruiter looked at his resume. They talked a while. Then the recruiter said, you know, the problem is not your resume. It's your face. It's your face that's holding you back from getting another job. And it's because you have this angry look about you. You just, you just project anger. So you need to do something about what you're projecting with your face. So Christopher Marr thought about it and went to a plastic surgeon. <laughs> Now, now, this sounds like I'm making it up. This was actually a true story in the New York Times. Went to a plastic surgeon. They talked about it. And the plastic surgeon strategically gave 39-year-old Christopher Marr Botox so that Christopher had this perpetual look of happiness on his face. <laughs> and he no longer looked angry. And guess what? Within two weeks, he had another job. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> it's amazing how now there is this ability to use Botox, just not for those who have wisdom lines, <laughs> but for those who want to project something different than what they may be feeling. I mean, one question that came to me was, what would he look like when he really was angry? I mean, can you imagine him yelling at someone with this big smile on his face? <laughs> you know, kind of hard to get your point across. But this has actually become an important part of the expansion in the use of Botox. People are using Botox, no matter what their age may be, to have a more serene look on their face or a more peaceful look on their face, this, this look of happiness. But the question comes, how deep does this really go? In this case, happiness or peace or serenity truly is just skin deep. Our call is to live in a deeper place, a place that is truly deep, a place that truly is an authentic place of life. 
that we project who we are and who God has created us to be regardless of what the circumstances around us might be. It's to tap into the everlasting psalm. The psalm that you have today from Psalm 98 is a call to live in this place where joy is real. This place where joy can't be faked. This place where joy is grounded in the everlasting song of God. And when you look at that psalm today, it really speaks of this song that is a new song, a song of life, a song of joy. It talks about how it's a joy that is so incredible and so contagious that it actually spreads to everything around it, to where the entire earth begins to sing this song of worship and praise to the mighty, awesome, and holy God. Maybe you'd look at the scripture and say, you know, those folks must have had things going really well. Everything must have been in alignment. The reality is that during this time, the house of Israel was in a place of captivity once again. And in fact, many of them had begun to sing a sad song. They'd begun to sing a song of lamentation. They'd begun to sing a song of woe. And the psalmist is calling them to look beyond their circumstances, to throw back their heads once again, to look beyond their economy into God's economy and sing a song of the ages. So the first point that comes to us as we look at this scripture today is that this song of joy is not just skin deep. It's not something that can be manipulated or controlled. This song of joy is a song that is sung beyond circumstances. Barbara Essex of the Pacific School of Religion talks about how this is a song for the people of Israel that is sung beyond circumstance and beyond their situation. Instead of jubilant hymns of praise, the people sang despondent songs of freedom lost and a silent God. Still, the psalmist invites a song, a new one, although things looked bleak. Things are never over with God. The psalmist says, hold on and see what God might yet do and sing while you wait. Psalm 98 invites Israel to sing and remember. The song itself is not new, but the situation gives the old song a deeper, more poignant meaning. Sing, because only singing keeps alive the hope that God yet reigns. Sing and live as if God has acted again. Sing because the world is about to change. God is coming to bring righteousness and equity, making all things right. Sing, not because you are happy. Sing because you have a song about a God who loves cares, and acts. Sometimes just singing, throwing back your head and throwing open your arms and saying, God, sometimes that is the beginning of a new life because you see life differently. I love that line in the reading where it says, with God it is never over. It may feel like it's over. The burden may be that heavy. The circumstances may seem that difficult. And yet sometimes just tapping into the song begins to lift the spirit. 
when you sing and you hear another voice singing, you begin to realize it's not just about you. You're not alone because the song you sing begins to echo in the songs of those around you. The song becomes the anthem of community and life. We know we're alive because we're with each other. And we find our strength in each other. It is about all of us. In our psalm today, those ancient peoples, feeling despondent and lost, singing the song of woe, begin to lift their voices. And they begin to sing a part of an eternal song. The song that brought them from captivity and across the Red Sea and through the waters, through the desert, was a song that would lead them beyond their place of captivity now to the place that was coming, the place that God was creating, that place of life and hope beyond what they could imagine. It wasn't just about the past. It was about now and about the future, a future that God was creating. So this song of joy, it is not a song defined by circumstance. It's a song that goes deeper and goes truer. Where is your faith today? In the circumstance or in the God who is greater? If we look at the scripture, we also see that another thing that sometimes holds us down and keeps us from singing our song is the focus we sometimes have on stuff and things. We sometimes get this idea that if I just had this car or if I just got through all the repairs on my house and they weren't driving me crazy, then I'd be happy, then I'd be at peace, then I'd be at serene. If I just had this relationship, then I'd be happy, I'd be at peace, I'd be serene. We have this kind of, if I just had this sort of faith. The other thing that comes through in this scripture is that this song is not about stuff. It's not about positions. It's about a deeper place. It's about a place of real joy. Joy is not mere happiness dependent on things or stuff or possessions or positions. It's deeper than that. And I'd like you to hear this description of joy as it really is. Joy can be an ambiguous term. Many people link it with happiness, health, success, fame, wealth, pleasure, fun, or good fortune. In that sense of the word, joy is attached to and dependent upon some external source. Joy of that source can exude a sense of smugness, entitlement, narcissism, and even self-pity in the absence of the desired objects. Such joy seldom lasts for long or is genuinely fulfilling, for it creates its own set of needs that are rarely satisfied. There are privileged people who enjoy the most fortunate of personal circumstances, yet they are never content and always unhappy as well. Conversely, there are people who possess little, but nevertheless radiate equanimity and gladness. Genuine joy is more elusive, more subtle, and more nuanced than happiness, pleasure, or good fortune. Whereas we can manipulate circumstances to our own advantage to obtain what we think will bring happiness or expend great efforts in pleasure-seeking, joy is entirely gratuitous. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. 
or deserve it. It is a divine gift to receive rather than a selfish goal to pursue. Hmm. The psalmist calls them to that deeper place. The psalmist calls them to the smile of the soul. Beyond that which is skin deep, beyond that which can be strategically manipulated, to that place where every person looks inside and then realizes that's not all there is. The person looks inside and touches that strength and then looks around and realizes it is about all of us and all of God. It's there. Get quiet, discover it, listen to it, sing it, live it. It really is this place beyond circumstances and this place beyond stuff. It was true for the people of Israel during their time of captivity and beyond. And in our day, it's also true for one who experienced captivity for saying the wrong things at the wrong time or perhaps saying the right things at the wrong time. Some of you have read some of the works of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one who spent some time as a political prisoner. He was one who truly discovered joy beyond captivity and beyond circumstance. Alexander Solzhenitsyn writes, it is not the level of prosperity that makes for happiness, but the kinship of heart to heart and the way we look at the world that knits together. This spiritual kinship this eternal song, this place where our hearts beat together in a rhythm of hope, that song that we're invited to sing, that eternal song of joy, that song of the ages, is a song that each of us is invited to sing. So if our joy is not dependent on circumstances or people or stuff or position, then what can we depend on? Or better, who can we depend on? This joy, this everlasting song is a song of God. The song does not depend on circumstances. It does not depend on stuff or position. The song depends on a God of love and justice. And the most potent part of this psalm is the last line. You'll see it printed there in your worship folder on page two. Who can we depend on? We can depend on this mighty God. This awesome God, this holy God, this God who comes to judge the earth, who will rule the world with justice and its peoples with equality. Now perhaps when you heard that line, this God who comes to judge the earth, you felt a little bit of a twinge. Maybe you thought, you know, I don't hear a whole lot about a judging God at resurrection. And the reality is that some of us grew up in churches where this idea of a judging God was misdirected. We got this idea that a God who judges is a God who's going to pounce on us with one wrong move or one wrong thought. It's meant entirely different here. This is a God who judges for righteousness, and righteousness is not about self-righteousness. It's about right-use-ness. It's about people using their lives in a way that is just and brings about wholeness and health and kinship in community. This kind of righteousness is about lives leaning in the right direction 
for the commonwealth and good of all. So when this scripture talks about leaning in and singing the eternal song of a God who judges, it is a God who judges for the good of all people. In other words, those who are in a place where they have been violated by others, this is a God who judges for their goodness, for a return of their health and wholeness. This is a God who judges so that a sense of equality can be restored. So for the people of Darfur, this is a God who brings a new sense of righteousness and justice. A God who can be leaned on and depended on and trusted. A God who works in the hearts of people to bring about joy to the world again. And justice to the world again. Nations and relationships and communities made right. That's the everlasting song. That's the joy we can depend on. That's the life we're called to live. Now you may be saying, okay, this whole scripture is talking about singing this wonderful song. And yet, have you heard me sing? (laughs) Some of you may be saying, you don't want to hear me sing. (laughs) So if you're one of those persons who's a little self-conscious about your voice, how will you sing? Well, the song is not limited to our vocal cords. This is a song that we can sing with our actions about being a part of the solution in our neighborhoods or our workplaces, our communities. This is a song that we can sing every time we reach out in friendship and widen the circle. It's a song that we can sing through drums and marimbas and handbells. It's a song that we can actually sing with that smile that's beyond Botox. In fact, you could say, that a smile is the song of the soul. You could say that a smile is a song the face sings. It really is about all of us. So I invite us right now to sing that song. Just give the best smile you can give. Come on. All right, we're seeing some good looking smiles. Show your neighbor your smile for just a moment. Scare your neighbor with your smile. You are singing the song, and it is about all of us. A smile reaches out, a smile opens, and a smile points us to that true and that deep place. A smile? It really is a song the face sings.